Please be seated. So the uh, conference that uh, Cindy and Sherry and I attended uh, was themed the stories we tell. We all have a story. Whether you have a faith story or not depends on whether or not you have a relationship with Jesus. But everyone has a story. And day by day as we're on this journey, this walk, this sanctifying journey that we're on, we add little bits to our story. We had an example of that just this morning. When Angel got up and expressed her gratitude to the church family for supporting her through her Emmaus walk, that walk for Angel was a, an addition, a powerful addition to her story. <clears throat> Stories are important because they are the testimony that we offer to others about our own journey, our own walk with Jesus. No one can dispute your testimony because it is exclusive to you. It's something between you and your God. And whether or not they have their own story or whether or not they are a believer or an unbeliever, they can't tell you that your story is not true. How could they? So a story is a powerful thing. Your testimony, your witness to your walk in the faith is a powerful tool that God wants to use to make disciples for Jesus Christ. Disciples who worship passionately and love extravagantly and witness boldly. Where have you seen that before? Just look at the top of your bulletin. And so this morning, we are talking about a story of adoption. Children of God live their stories in the Spirit. That's a profound truth. Children of God live in the Spirit of God, and the Holy Spirit of God dwells in His children. That is also a profound truth. Now, Romans 8, Paul's letter to the Romans, talks about living in the Spirit. You recall that we talked about the first half of this chapter in Romans in some detail last Sunday. And this morning, I want to expand on that just a little bit because Paul's letter to the Romans is not only Paul's witness and story to the Romans, but it is also the story of the church, the body of Christ, in motion in the world. In other words, the letter to the Romans is your story as a Christ follower. See, the benefit of living in the Spirit, the net result of living in the Spirit, of living according to God's terms instead of living according to our own terms, is significant. 
Listen to what Paul writes beginning in verse 12 of Romans 8. I believe there's a a version of this in your bulletin. So then, brothers and sisters, so you're included in this, so then, brothers and sisters, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, For if you are living in accord with the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons and daughters of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, But you have received a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our own spirit that we are children of God and if children, heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with Him so that we may also be glorified with him. Do you get a sense as a son and daughter of the Most High God that your story is magnificent? As we said in our call to worship, you are awesomely and wonderfully made. That's the beginning of each of our story. God conceived of us before He ever put our spirit into this earthly body. And when He did, He didn't put us in just any old lump of flesh and bones. He put us in a magnificently designed body, fearfully and wonderfully made in His image. And in his likeness. See, one of the cornerstone precepts of our faith is that those who believe in faith that Jesus Christ is Lord, those people are adopted into the family of God as his children. When we cry out to God for salvation, Paul says, when we cry out, Abba, Father, Abba is just an Aramaic way of saying, Daddy. It's an intimate relationship that we have with our Father God. We cry out, Abba, Father, for His mercy and for His grace to save us. It's the Holy Spirit working on our individual spirit, bearing witness that we are at that moment of accepting Jesus Christ as Lord. We are at that moment children of God adopted into the family of God. Isn't that glorious? Not only are you fearfully and wonderfully made, but you are an heir, a co-heir with Christ to the kingdom of heaven. This is a room full of royal. It is indeed glorious, but that's not all. Paul teaches us that we're not just children of God, but we are heirs, joint heirs with Christ. Some versions of the Bible say co-heirs. 
heirs with Christ to the kingdom of God. What a grand inheritance we have. What a grand inheritance. One of the preachers in conference said that he didn't realize he had such a grand inheritance. He said when he was growing up, he was so poor and his credit was so bad that he had to have a co-signer when he paid cash. <laughs> See, we, we come from nothing until God makes us something. We're nothing until God pours His Holy Spirit into us when we say yes to Jesus and suddenly we become inheritors of all that is important in the kingdom. Now before we start counting our inheritance, before we start celebrating all the privileges of being heirs to the kingdom, we need to read the fine print because there's a condition we must meet in order to be eligible to receive the inheritance of the keys to the kingdom of God. Now, Paul says that we are, in fact, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. But then he says, under the condition that we also are willing to suffer with Christ. So that we may also be glorified with him. You see, Jesus suffered and was glorified. He suffered and was obedient to God the Father. And because of His obedience, His willingness to go to the cross for you and me, God glorified Him. And when we say yes to Jesus, His glory becomes our glory. His resurrection becomes our resurrection. So there is a condition... Don't say yes to Jesus unless you understand the fine print. There is a condition to our inheritance and the condition is that we must be willing to suffer with Jesus. See, suffering with Christ is part of our sanctifying path to glory, to becoming like Him in perfection. It's not an easy path. Being a Christ follower, there is suffering involved in following in his footsteps. The way is narrow. Consequently, we often get scraped and bumped and bruised by the walls and the briars and the brambles that wait for us just outside the straight and narrow path. Oh, they're there. Veer off into the ditch once on this sanctifying journey you're on and see if there aren't briars and brambles on either side of the narrow way, waiting to snag you up and slow you down on your journey. There, there is suffering on our way to glory, so it's not for the faint of heart. It's not for the faint of heart. But then, no guts, no glory, right? Robert Frost, in his poem, The Road Not Taken, describes a choice between a well-traveled road and one that is less traveled. The last verse in that poem says, I shall be telling this with a sigh. 
somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. So taking the path less traveled is not for the faint of heart. The path less traveled has less people to inform you what waits down that less traveled road. You need a witness. You need a testimony in order to be willing to take that first step down the less traveled road. The broad path, well, everybody knows where that goes. The narrow way is more difficult. But the reward for the successfully made journey is the story, the testimony that you are then able to give when you get to the end of the road. And I might modify that a bit and say your testimony is the story that you can tell along the way to fellow travelers. Like your walk to Emmaus where Jesus comes alongside you and you have a journey of conversation as Jesus explains to you everything about him contained in the scriptures. The way we must go to inherit the kingdom of God as a joint heir with Christ is the less traveled path. The way is narrow, and it can be steep, and it can be difficult, and there will be suffering, but the reward is glory and victory and, let's face it, a really good story along the way. A story about our faith journey while making the journey here on earth and and perhaps our savior jesus will join us along the way and eventually we end up where jesus is face to face with him in heaven in future glory see in romans 8 about verse 18 paul begins to talk about this future glory He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the eagerly awaiting creation waits for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You see, all of creation is waiting for all that will believe to finally say yes to Jesus so that this nightmare of sin and death can finally be passed by. All of creation. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. 
And not only that, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? See, because our road to glory includes suffering, Paul's careful not to sugarcoat it. He doesn't want us to get the wrong idea. He doesn't want us to skip over the fine print. He's not the announcer at the end of the radio commercial that talks so fast that you could barely hear what he's saying. (laughs) He wants you to know in no uncertain terms what the consequences and benefits of being a follower of Christ are. Paul describes the suffering that he endured for the sake of the gospel in 2 Corinthians 6, 4, and 5. He says, But as servants of God, we have commended ourselves in every way through great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, and hunger. That sounds like great fun, does it not? 2 Corinthians 11, 23-28. Are they ministers of Christ, Paul asks? I'm talking like a madman. I am a better one, a better minister of Christ, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless floggings and often near death. Five times I have received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. For a night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and sisters, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, hungry and thirsty, often without food, cold and naked, and besides other things, I am under daily pressure because of my anxiety for all the churches. Probably the greatest apostle, the the greatest speaker and preacher for the gospel of Jesus Christ suffered greatly for the privilege of being a co-heir with Christ. Great suffering we will endure, Paul says. But then Paul puts all of that suffering into context. In effect, he says, no guts, no glory. All of that suffering is insignificant in light of the reward. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us For an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Because we look not at what can be seen, but at what we can't, but what at but at what we cannot see. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. What 
Where are your eyes focused on your faith wall? Paul wants you to know that the suffering is painful and real. The suffering we endure as we follow Christ is real and difficult. But the glory. Oh, but the glory. Oh, but the glory of our testimony as we stand before Jesus on that day and declare our testimony and hear him say to us in response, well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, that makes all the suffering worth it to me. All the suffering this life can throw at me is worth hearing my Lord and Savior say to me, well done. Not because of anything I did, but because I was willing to endure until the very end all that the world could throw at me, keeping my eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter, the finisher of my faith. And so we pray. Jesus, Lord, I gave it all because you gave it all. And I want to be just like you. Jesus, my God, I endured with patience because you endured the pain and the suffering and the death on the cross for me. Pouring out your life's blood for me. It was your guts, your glory, Lord Jesus. Your guts and your glory gave me strength to remain steadfast in your way. this momentary light affliction of my suffering prepared me for a greater eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. And to that all believers can say, thank you, Jesus. Amen. Who exactly is this co-heir Jesus? If we're co-heirs with Jesus, in the kingdom of God, who exactly is this Jesus? Who is he that I should want to suffer for him in order to inherit the kingdom of God? Who is this co-heir that Paul speaks of and why on earth would I want to take on the responsibility that goes with being a Christ follower? It's okay to ask those questions. If you're going to get into it and you read the fine print, then, then you should know who it is you're committing your life to. Paul tells us who he is. And I have to tell you, I, I've read this no matter how many times I read it, it always amazes me that I'm a joint heir with this person, Jesus. Here's what Paul says about him in Colossians 1. For in him, Jesus, all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first 
place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus with whom God has made us joint heirs to his kingdom? Well, Paul tells us he is God. He is the embodiment of the fullness of the Godhead. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is Creator God, your Creator, your Father, your Savior, your all in all. He is the way and the truth and the life and nothing, no one comes into the Father's kingdom but through Jesus Christ. And see, you are heirs with this Jesus. You are heirs with Him and eternal life and peace and joy are your inheritance. They are the greater weight of glory that is yours if you will but invite Jesus in to this slight momentary affliction, the suffering of your sanctifying journey that we call life. Lord Jesus, I want to be co-heir with you. Lord Jesus, I am willing. And in my unbelief, Lord, help me to believe. In my weakness, give me your strength. Pour into me so that I can pour out to others. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our final hymn is on page 451, also on the overhead in moments like these.